we're in this series. This is a series under further review. It, it, we're engaging in this series from now all the way to Lent. And it, I say, it feels like Lent should be a far, you know, it should be many weeks away. It's not really early Easter, kind of a short period of time between Christmas and Easter this year. And so as we engage in this thought process, considering instant replay is this incredible metaphor, what we're asking you to do is, is ponder and thoughtfully consider engaging in some, some life renovation. Now, now, what that is or what that would look like for you, it could be any number of things. We wouldn't presume to do that because we think that's the Holy Spirit's job to guide you and lead you into being a a more thoughtful follower of Jesus. Uh, We have some suggestions. Uh, We have some ways to point you. We have some ideas about what that can look like for you. But we want all of this to be centered around the idea of us engaging in our walk with Jesus in a more thoughtful way. And so if you're watching football this weekend, you might watch a little football, watch a little basketball this weekend. Uh, In fact, most sports, there's a few sports that don't use it at all but many sports use it, then you've seen this instant replay thing in action. You've watched it. If you watched any of the games yesterday, the, the two wild card games, it happened a few times in both games. And this idea of instant replay being a, a metaphor for us is powerful, it's useful, and the history of it is helpful to us as we engage in everything we understand about spirituality and following Jesus more thoughtfully. Now, instant replay as a, as a tool for officiating, it's got its own history. And it's a fascinating history. We'll dig into that another week. But its existence as a tool, it only is there for the officiating purposes because the technology exists. That's why. And the technology coming to fruition in this way has its own history as well. And it has nothing to do with getting calls right nothing at all. In fact, it has nothing to do with officiating in any way. And the only reason it exists is because of convenience. Almost like every technological advancement you can think of. And so that history, of course, has its own use and its own purpose, but it has nothing to do with the purpose that we understand that it's there for today. And so when we think about instant replay, we can't even imagine watching a football game without instant replay being a part of it. In fact, for most of us, the enjoyment of the game, it really isn't because of the officiating piece of it, although that's a big deal. And we wanted to get calls right because we can all point to a game where they didn't get the calls right. And in fact, even with this in place, you can still point to a game where they didn't get the call right, uh, especially if your team lost. It's our bias. It's how we see it. But the way we imagine sports and experience sports, we can't even fathom instant replay not being a part of it, whether it's a part of the officiating end of it or not. In fact, you know, in your living room and you see a play and, and everybody's going nuts, they can't believe it, and you shush them because you want to see it again, right? You go, shh, I want to see this again. And this happens whether you are in your living room or you are at the stadium now because the screens are so big. And the experience is so incredible that instant replay, well, it's better than the real thing, isn't it? Because instant replay is in 4K. And it's from 12 different angles. And it's in slow motion. 
The technology that is advanced so far allows us to see things that you didn't even know happened. And it's absolutely incredible. And so that catch, of course, one of the most famous catches that Evans ever participated in, this is lived over and over and over again. And, and while it's just part of the game for us, instant replay, the technology, as I said, wasn't always available. In fact, for most of the historical time of football in particular, it didn't even exist. The technology didn't exist to watch something again. In fact, some of you in this room are old enough to remember when it didn't exist. So you can identify yourselves if you'd like. Now, the very first instant replay in sports happened on December 7th in 1963. Some of you will remember this game once I describe it. It was the Army-Navy game that year. It was supposed to be played a week before that date. December 7th was a unique day for that game to happen because it wasn't scheduled for that day. It would have been a little more than two weeks prior to this game that President Kennedy was shot on November 22nd. And when President Kennedy was shot, that game was about just a little over a week away and it was put on pause, it was put on hold. In fact, most people thought that it would be canceled. But it wasn't canceled. This, this Army-Navy game was one of Kennedy's favorite games every year. In fact, the year before, uh, he helped with the toss of the coin being in the middle of the field with these players. It would be four or five days after his death that the Kennedy family was asked by folks who were in charge of making the game happen. Should this game happen or not? There would have been a normal 30-day military period of mourning that would have existed, been put into play at that point in time. And so it was the Kennedy family that decided that this game should be played, albeit delayed a week later than it was supposed to be played. In fact, some people would say that it was Mrs. Kennedy herself that decided this game should actually happen because it was, in fact, one of her husband's favorite games of the year. And so it was played. And that day, that game happened. It was a a tightly contested match. Navy was favored to win. Uh, the quarterback that Navy had in the game, well, you might remember. You might remember who it was? Roger Staubach, that's right. And in between the assassination of President Kennedy and the playing of this game, Staubach was awarded the Heisman Trophy. They were favored to win. But it came down to the fourth quarter, of course, and Raleigh Stickway, in the fourth quarter, found himself near the goal line, and he faked a handoff and then ran it in for a touchdown. They didn't win the game. In fact, Navy would go on to win the game, but it would have been in the final seconds of the game when Raleigh was trying to, on another drive, trying to gather his people, and they didn't have instant replay as an officiating tool at the time, and the clock ran out on them. They lost by less than a touchdown. 
after Raleigh ran that quarterback sneak in or just you know, quarterback fake, he did the handoff and then went into the end zone. Tony Verna, who was the CBS producer of that broadcast, had a little trick up his sleeve. It had never been done before. Nobody expected it. But he thought he would try the technology on live TV. He had, of course, been recording the game and had the technology in place to almost immediately replay uh, part of the broadcast. And so he told the producer and the people in the control room, the assistant producers, to replay that, that six seconds, and he did. And it confused everybody completely. <laughs> in fact, the announcer had to say, Army did not score again. <laughs> You're so used to instant replay, it's just hard for us to fathom. But people sitting at home watching this Army-Navy game saw it occur, and they thought, it happened again? We don't understand. We don't, we don't understand what just happened. So the announcer repeated it again. The Army did not score again. That was a replay of what you had just seen. And it was the very first time in sports that instant replay was used. Now, that's, that's new. And it has been developed into this incredible tool and even though the game has not always had instant replay, you and I, we have always had instant replay, haven't you? You've always been able to remember, for good or for bad. You've always been able to replay an occasion. In fact, some of you will leave this place and you will replay a conversation that you had and you'll smile with joy. Some of you will hang your head in shame. Some of you will think, oh, I can't believe I said that to them. I wish I hadn't have. This is instant replay at work in your life. And it happens every day a thousand different times. And it happens because God has gifted you with the endowment, with the gift of memory. God has a memory. Scripture speaks of it many times. And you and I have been made in God's image, and we have been given the gift of memory. Not all creatures have it, but we've been given it. In fact, only because of the, uh, the genius of Ted Lasso do we know that a goldfish's memory lasts, well, how long? Eight seconds. I don't know how they know that. I have no idea. I think it's just a made-up idea. But not all creatures have the gift of memory. And I bet there are some days when you wish you didn't have the gift of memory as well. Because it can be used in all kinds of different ways. We use it to blame others. We use it to build a case. We use it to remind people of their failures. We use memory to point out the things that shouldn't have happened and why they shouldn't have happened. We use it in a thousand different ways. Some of it to damage relationships, some of it to prop our egos up. Sometimes we use it to remind people of all of the good things we've done. Sometimes we use it to remind ourselves of our own failures. God has given us the gift of memory. And maybe when you use memory, some of these negative connotations of it, you find yourself in a place that is further from God or more distant from other people or it takes a broken relationship and it breaks it further. But God has given us this gift so that we can know him better 
and follow Jesus more thoughtfully. In fact, because you and I have this gift of memory, and only because we have this gift of memory, do we get second and third and fourth tries? Do we get another chance at showing love to somebody that we showed impatience to? Only because of this memory thing do we get the chance to be kind when we were unkind. We get to think thoughtfully about old patterns and things that we wish we hadn't engaged in. Because of this gift of memory, we get to reflect on who we were and who we would like to be using two gifts, right? Memory and imagination that God has given us. Because of these gifts, we can think about things that haven't even happened yet or haven't even occurred yet, and God can give us a vision of who we can become if we were to surrender more fully to Jesus. And so then we can choose a different path. And when we choose this different path, it's because we're using this God-given gift, this endowment of memory, and we understand where God wants us to go. And that path becomes very clear. And scripture points to this path in a myriad of different ways. I love in one verse what John writes as an old man in one of his last letters. He says it this way. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And so what do you hear? You hear a, you hear a movement towards something. It was this, but now it's this. It did have limitations, but now I'm finding myself, I'm able to love people in ways I didn't even know was possible. I did have these expectations or these conditions on these people in my life, but now my love is growing more perfect. And so we will not be afraid, you hear, memory, no shame, no fear. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence, and then he describes it this way, because we live like Jesus here in this world. I can think of no other verse in all of scripture that summarizes the path of discipleship, thoughtfulness, memory, and imagination all in one sentence that understands, that describes, that gives this texture to what it means to live like Jesus and the direction that he's called us to. So let's say the verse all together, okay? One verse, you ought to commit to memory. It says it's John 4, 217, but it's not. That's a, that's a typo. There's not near that many verses in chapter 4. I'll let you hunt it up. Okay, let's say it together. Are you ready? And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. This is the purpose of our memory. It's why God gave us the memory. Our love growing more perfect. Our ability to engage in relationships to be more thoughtful. No fear, no shame. This love being perfected over time. And we become like Jesus in this world. And so our goal, this we laid out last week, we laid out again to make it very clear. Our hope through this series, this, this pre-Lent series, is for us to commit to or decide that we will develop and engage in a daily habit of spiritual reflection as we hope to live and love like Jesus in this world. That's what we want. And whatever that habit looks like, I mean, there's lots of things that God's called us to do, spiritually speaking, to change the world, to, to feed the hungry, to uh, 
right injustices, as we've already mentioned, to learn, to worship, all kinds of things that God has called us to do as followers of Jesus. One of those things is to engage in a daily habit of spiritual reflection. It's a different habit. It's a different discipline. It's a different choice. In fact, it's one of the most difficult habits to engage in. It's so unusual for us to do this. Most of us don't have this habit. We do it occasionally when somebody forces our hand. We do it every now and then when somebody points out a major flaw in us or likes to relive their own memory and confess our sins. Every now and then, we will then develop a one-time habit or we did it on that one day last year, spiritual reflection. We consider who we were, how we lived, and how that went. But what we want to do through this series is decide that this daily habit is the thing that will help us understand who Jesus is and how we can move that direction so that our love will grow more perfect. And and it seems like a lot of work. I know you don't need more to do. I know you don't end your day thinking, I mean, golly, I have so much time on my hands and energy, emotional, I'm just looking for things to do. I don't know anybody that feels this way. You've got enough to do. And it takes an incredible measure of humility and surrender and openness and relational openness. It's just uncommon. It's uncommon. Even among followers of Jesus. But when we commit to engaging in this, we've made a choice. And that choice is to allow Jesus to have more of us. That's our hope. And it could be that you say, well, I'm kind of up for the work, but this whole sports thing is lost on me. And it could be that you're quite spiritual and you think, you know what, I don't understand why the sports analogies are supposed to help us move this direction. Sports are just not my thing. And if that's the case, then I want to point you to a few verses in the New Testament. And I, if, if work is the thing that's resisting you, then, then this will be kind of the, the analogy that might help you move from point A to point B. The the popularity of sports isn't really a modern thing. It's been a part of culture since before we have things that are written about anything, the written record. In fact, sports have been around uh, as long as we can even possibly imagine. And not only have they been around, but the Apostle Paul writes about sports in ways that bring about a comparison between our spiritual life and the sports world that drives us down good and thoughtful paths. And these comparisons will help us understand what is meant by this daily habit. And it'll even give us a little inspiration, I think, as we consider the amount of work that something like this takes, this, this daily habit. My favorite verse where Paul combines spiritual thought and the sports metaphor and the sports world, it was in 1 Timothy. And, and here's what he says. In fact, say the first sentence with me. You ready? For bodily training is just slightly beneficial. That's my favorite right there. And so when Donna says, you know, we should go on a hike. Donna loves it when I quote scripture to her, especially when it's in a corrective, rebuking kind of way. That's her favorite. And so I'll say, you know, honey, I would go on a hike with you, but bodily training is just slightly beneficial. And so that usually goes south from there. If I had a daily habit of spiritual reflection, that would never happen, right? That's the hope. But then he goes on to say, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise 
for the present life and also for the life to come. Most of the time when Paul compares spirituality and the athletic world, he finds similarities though. It's one time, it's a great contrast and I use it to my benefit all the time. But I want to point you to a passage. There's a couple of them in your little program that you picked up. One of them that we'll spend a little time on is in 1 Corinthians 9. And here's what Paul says. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. Say it with me. What are we going to do? So run to win. Now, if you, if you, you know, kind of resist victory language in, in the Christian world, then the athletic metaphor isn't going to be all that helpful for you. Uh, Paul uses this athletic metaphor to kind of inspire us to move in a direction. And when Paul does this, he's referring to the games that he knew of, the ancient games, the Olympiad, the the ancient Greek games, uh, the games that took place in Ismia. These games, they had a very unique flavor to them. Similar to our Olympic games, although when we think Olympic games, we think of country. When Paul is thinking about the Olympic games or the other Greek games that occurred, he's thinking of one person who was trained many months for one thing and competes in a very solitary way. In fact, there, there's no, absolutely no concept of team sports in the ancient Olympic Games. And so he pictures a solitary person engaging in this effort, and he says... One person gets the prize, so run to win. He goes on to say this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so all of these comparisons of physical to spiritual, they all point to a discipline that we engage in. And you know this, all of the things that you would say about working out or physical fitness, they all apply in the spiritual realm as well. You know, no, no pain, no gain, all those things, they all apply. And Paul is saying that there is a discipline that we engage in when it comes to our spiritual lives. And that discipline is this very difficult, very purposeful, very targeted activity that if we choose not to engage in it, we simply don't reap the benefits of it. But when we do engage in it, when we do decide that we'll invest, then the, the fruits, the rewards, the benefit, the outcome far outweighs, and this is true for almost every endeavor you could name, far outweighs what we invested. And so Paul describes your spiritual life to be first cousin to, just like. His metaphor is physical training. And so we get up and we do it. We we know what we're doing. We know how we engage in it. I I had an injury uh, about a year and a half ago now. It was a hamstring injury. And I I think I ripped something. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, Based on the bruise I had a week later, it looked like it had been ripped. And so I, I joined the, the gym over here. I haven't been a part of a gym for a long, long time. Uh, and I'm still not now. So, because, uh, you know, Paul says physical training is, you know, not really worth much. But Josh, Josh uh, works out over there. And I thought, you know, it's close. I, I, I need to get this hamstring, at least figure out what's up. Um, and so I show up over there. And, and this, is, this is how it works for me when I walk into a setting like that. It looks like everybody knows what they're doing. 
and I do not know what I'm doing. And so I go up to a machine, and I look at it, you know, like I know what I'm doing, and then I think, you know, maybe I'll go look at another machine for a while. <laughs> and this is, this is what happens, and I, you know, finally, Josh showed me around a little bit, showed me a thing or two, and, uh, and I got to, you know, there's two machines I needed to use to figure out my hamstring, and this is what I did. And my thinking was, you know, I'm here for this one single purpose, and it'll get sorted, and then I can get the heck out of here. Spiritually speaking, all of those analogies, perspectives, lenses, they all apply. If you've picked up the Bible and gotten stuck, you didn't know where to start, you're just like me walking around a workout place. If you aren't sure what it means to reflect and consider your life, well, that's why we're spending about six weeks digging into it. If you're not in the habit or the discipline of taking a truth of Scripture and then overlaying it against some of your interactions or your own heart or the way you've treated somebody else, then this habit is the very thing that we're digging into. Not for the purpose of making us feel like we don't measure up, that's a whole nother week, but only for the purpose that our love would grow more perfect. That's all. And if anything has been highlighted for all of us over the last few years, is that our love has some room to grow. Amen? It has a little bit of room to grow. And so what would it look like? How do we tune that muscle up? What's the machine that we need to engage in? What's the habit? This habit of spiritual reflection. Well, it is the discipline that Paul's talking about when he is explaining what spirituality looks like if we were to compare it to the activities or the habits of an athlete who has decided, I will give everything I can to these games. One race, one stadia long. It'll happen once, and I'll give it to it. And so Paul, with this metaphor, builds in us an understanding of what it would look like if we engaged in this habit. And so then he says this. He finishes it. There's a few things after this, but I love this statement. He says, in fact, we'll say it together. Are you ready? The whole thing. So I run with purpose in every step. That's what we want. That's our desire. And there are many spiritual applications to this, but like all good analogies, if you push it too far, it breaks down completely. And it's true. Uh, Only one gets a prize. No, no. The prize is offered to all of you. All of you. I run with purpose in every step? Absolutely. But this athletic metaphor, just like our instant replay metaphor, it has some limitations. And we'll pick it apart over the next several weeks as we try to understand what this habit would look like in practice in our daily life. And here is one of the limitations of this athletic metaphor. When an athlete engages in a contest, he knows exactly what the goal is. He or she understands that it is to best the time of his fellow competitors or drop the punch while we're tied to this block of stone and be the last person alive. Uh, The ancient games were brutal. The ancient games were visceral. And one competitor walked away from every contest, the victor. And the goal was clear for everyone. Nobody was iffy on what was expected of those competing or what victory looked like. And so the question that many of you have asked, 
for a, a good portion of your life is this one. What does that look like when it comes to me following Jesus? So if you grew up in churches where it was taught that, well, that means you're a doormat and you let other people win and you put yourself second all the time. Some, some of you were taught that it looks like you taking authority over all kinds of things, including other people, and you become judge and jury of their spirituality. Some of you are taught a variety of other things, and you could even pull scriptures out of this holy book to justify your thoughts or perspectives, or maybe even to undo the things that we were taught that weren't helpful. But what is the goal then? What's the finish line? Well, that is exactly where you and I will spend the next several weeks sorting that out. Because if you're going to reflect, then you need to know where you're headed and why. That question is not for today. Today's question is, are you up for the work? Do you believe that engaging in that sort of habit will help you and your love change the world? One interaction, one relationship, forgiveness, love, growing more perfect one day at a time. Well, we began engaging in that habit together, collectively, online, in this room, last Sunday. We asked you to ponder a thing or two. So I'm going to do the same thing today. We'll do it each week in one way or another. But I'm going to ask you to thoughtfully consider a couple questions. So if you would, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. You don't have to do that. You think better with your eyes open. But if you would like fewer distractions, you can engage in something like that. And I wonder if you would consider the last few days, the last week, last couple of weeks, if you can remember a time when you experienced the presence, the love, the mercy of God in a unique way. Ask God that question, ask yourself that question and see if a, an occasion comes to mind. So Lord, take this moment right now through the power of your spirit and help us as we reflect to remember a, a moment over the last bit of time when your presence was obvious to us. It, it could be a conversation when somebody felt understood or we offered them grace. It could be a moment out in nature when we looked around and we couldn't believe your grandeur. So call to mind a moment for us when we experienced a, a significant measure of your grace and your love. We were aware of your presence. So as that comes to mind for you, and keep Keep sitting in the moment if it hasn't yet. Give it a word. Was it peace, love, connection, understanding, forgiveness that somebody offered you? Just one word. 
And just take a second uh, minute and just talk to God about it. While you do that, I, I'll do the same. Lord, this week is... Uh, as I spent some time uh, on a high point here in Castle Rock, I looked to the north and could see Long's Peak and looked to the south and saw Pike's Peak and a few things in between. Lord, in that moment, the beauty of the day and the crispness of the air, I felt very small, not unimportant, just uh, that you were large worthy of worship and attention. And for some reason, uh, seeing uh, the beauty of what was in front of me gave me a sense of peace that you know, you've caused these mountains to emerge from the crust of the earth and rise tall and uh, cause the sun to shine and earth to be steady in its orbit and so I can trust you with the things that create anxiety in me or cause me to worry I can trust you with those things and so I'm reminded of that Lord when I see what you have created And my guess is, as you're praying and talking to God about this, there'll be some reminder that he will nudge your way about his sovereignty or about his mercy, about the way he accepts you, about the unconditional nature of his love, about forgiveness. It'll have something to do with his nature and how he moves towards you. And odds are, it will cause you to open your hands up a little bit more, open your heart a little more, and receive something from a sovereign and yet deeply intimate God who loves you so much. So Lord, we declare your goodness today in this place. And we recognize that these athletic metaphors speak to some of us, a little softer, a little louder to some of us. But we recognize the discipline that you're calling us to, that most days it doesn't feel like anything but hard work, but the fruit from it. Well, we hear what Paul says, and we want to walk with purpose in every step. And so the perfectionists in the room here that they cannot fail. Take that message away, Lord. They don't need to pick that up. May we all seek you this week. May we reflect on your goodness. May we take moments like this and consider thoughtfully who you are and how you're walking with us. Our hope and our desire is that our love for you, Lord, and for each other would grow more perfect. That's all we want.